following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Well, you can turn your Bibles to Romans 12. Romans chapter 12 today. Uh, of course, a couple weeks ago, uh, last time I spoke, we finished up our study of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, next week, Lord willing, uh, we are going to start a study through the book of Ezra. So it's been a while since we uh, did a, an Old Testament book, finished up Job uh, sometime fall of 2020. So I'm excited to uh, do a, a very different study, very different kind of study than what we did uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. So we'll start that next week. And uh, I'd encourage you to maybe uh, read uh, through Ezra this week, help you kind of prepare for the introduction we'll do, and uh, looking forward to that study. But before we start that study, I want to take one more week and uh, think about our new theme for 2020. Of course, uh, we've uh, talked about loving one another. And, um, and so remember that back the first Sunday of January, January 2nd, uh, we introduced this theme uh, by looking at John chapter 13. Verses 31 through 35. And we saw that just a few hours before Jesus was crucified, he met with his disciples in the upper room and he told them in verses 34 and 35 A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so, we, we said that this is a new commandment, uh, first of all, in the sense that, that we have a new example. We are to love each other the way Jesus loved us when He went to the cross and died for our sins. And Jesus is also giving us a new commandment in the sense that there is a new context for this command. That we are to love each other within the new creation of the church as disciples of Christ. And so, and so we, and we mentioned the fact that, that from there, the New Testament builds this command out in 31 what are sometimes called one another passages. Where the New Testament challenges us about how we are to live as a community in the church and how it is practically that we love each other the way Jesus said. And so today, I want to look at one of the most foundational of these one another passages. Uh, we want to look at Romans chapter 12. Verses 3-8, through eight, and my title this morning is, We Need One Another. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was listening to a podcast, and uh, the guys in the podcast were 
discussing the major storylines uh, within the church in 2021. And one of the storylines they brought up uh, that I had never really heard about or thought about was that, that the one guy uh, was talking about the rise of the metaverse. Now, uh, I had never heard of the metaverse, uh, but the metaverse uh, is essentially uh, basically the next step in the advancement of the internet, uh, where uh, more and more you will see uh, people uh, performing business and living life through virtual reality. And, um, and, and the guys mentioned that this, was a, this matters for the church because more and more churches are moving towards meta-services. Of course, particularly with our theme for the year, that really piqued my interest. And so, and so I did a Google search, and I came across this website. And this is a fascinating website, and, you know, and a picture's worth a thousand words. So I thought it'd be good for you to see this. And so uh, this is the website of life.church. And, uh, and it says there at the top, it says, we brought church to the, meta- to the metaverse. And then it goes on, and, and it says there, that we will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ. Now, now that is a fascinating statement. Because they're saying, you know, technically we're not sinning. But, but they know that they are really stretching the definition of what a church is. I mean, that's, that's what they're admitting uh, right there in that statement. Now, before we go on, you might sit there and think, well, this, this, was, this has got to be some quacky, weird, you know, little group. Uh, but Life.Church was started by Craig Groeschel, and, and he is a very well-known pastor. He's written books. And, and Life.Church is a massive church. They, they've got uh, campuses across a number of states. So this is not some weird you know, offshoot group. This is a big organization. And, as he says, their next venture is to bring church to the metaverse. And if you could scroll down, Daniel... Uh, it says, well, you can see there, what is the metaverse and what is life.church there? And, and they say, the metaverse is an online world where people can socialize, work, and play. When you attend church in the metaverse, you're able to experience it in a way unlike any other digital platform. All the people you see are present with you at the same time in the service. You talk to them avatar to avatar and hear their real voices. You can even see their facial expressions and body language. One-on-one digital conversations take on a whole new meaning in virtual reality. So, so basically what you do is you buy your, your virtual headset, and as you can see, you, you, you make your avatar. You, hopefully you make him look something like you actually look, right? And, um, and then you go to church. You, you, you gather in a virtual auditorium, and you go to church together in the metaverse. And um, now, now, I imagine that, that most of us in this room, you can go ahead and go back to the slide, Daniel. I don't want you guys being too distracted here. Um, you know, you look at this, and probably most of us in this room, considering the makeup of our church and our, the convictions of our church, would look at this and say, that's crazy. Like, that's nuts. And yet, I... I'm fairly confident, I agree with the guys in the podcast, that this sort of thing is going to be very attractive to a lot of people, a lot of Christians in America, because of how we already think about and and how we already practice the church. So specifically, many churches, they have turned the worship of the church into little more than an event. 
that you watch. You know, so you go to church, the room is very dark, and, uh, and all the focus is on the platform. And, and so you sit there as, a, as an anonymous spectator at a professional, exciting, and passionate performance. You watch it. And then afterwards, you, you go about your merry way, you, you leave without any accountability or responsibility to what you have just watched. And, and, and if that's all that the church is, then what is the big deal about jumping to the metaverse from the comfort of your couch in your own home? But our text that we're looking at today teaches that the church is a whole lot more than this. It is an interdependent family where we need each other through life-on-life real relationships, where we serve each other through, through the exercise of our spiritual gifts and where we receive ministry from others. This passage paints a compelling picture of life together in community. This is a pastor passage if there ever was one. All right, So, so I'm fired up to preach this passage. And it's, an, it's a message that we especially need in our day as our culture becomes more and more isolated than it has ever been before. And Paul makes his point in this passage with two sections. And so first of all, verses 3-5, through five, he teaches that you need the church. And then verses 6-8, through eight, he teaches that the church needs you. So let's begin today with the fact that you need the church. Now, now before we get to this point, uh, I want to make sure that we don't miss a couple of very important points that Paul makes in the introduction to the passage that, that really preface everything else he's going to say. So first of all, I want us to see that he teaches us that this text is rooted in the apostolic calling. Look how he begins. He says, For the, Through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself. So, so Paul says, I am giving you this command through the grace given to me. Now that's true of everything Paul says, right? I mean, there's nothing he says in the Bible that is not God's authoritative inspired word. But he puts this introduction on there to say, guys, this one is really important. This matters. So, so God here, so, so Paul here is not just giving his opinion to you about what church should be and how you should participate in the church. And we're not free to just kind of say, well, I like this, I don't like that. No, this is God's authoritative word. So we need to listen to what it says and obey it. And then secondly, another important part of this introduction is that he says that this text is addressed to all Christians. Paul says, I am saying this to everyone among you. Now, I imagine that Paul included that little statement because he anticipated the fact that some people would think, well, well I'm the exception to this. You know, we've heard, we've heard these things. I, I've heard these things as a pastor. I mean, yeah, that's really good for all those people, but it's not really for me. Or, or I don't need the church. God and I are plenty together. Or I'm just not a very social person. I don't like crowds. I don't like people. So I'm just going to sit at home read my Bible and pray, and that's enough for me. Or, yeah, the church is great. Church is a good thing. But my life is really busy. You know, I've got this going on and that going on and 
these five things over here, so, so I just really don't have time to make the church a priority in my life. I've got too much going on. And, and so, so many Christians, whether they ever say it or not, do not believe that they need the church. So Paul prefaces the text by emphasizing that what he is about to say applies to every Christian. And really, every person on earth. That all of us must hear and heed what follows. And I'd like to break down what follows into three challenges. And the first challenge is understand your insufficiency and your value. So so let's read on in verse 3. He goes on and says that we are not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So so Paul begins here by by warning us not to think too highly of ourselves. So so he challenges us to battle pride. And I think in particular, I know in, in context here, that he is especially concerned with pride in how I view my relationship to the church. Because this passage is all about the church. Now, now I think, I imagine, you know, Paul wrote the book of Romans from the city of Corinth. And if you've read the book of First and Second Corinthians, you know that, that Paul would have then been surrounded by, by a lot of people there in Corinth who, who this was an issue for them. They flaunted their spiritual gifts. They stuck their nose in the air that they could prophesy or speak in tongues. And they were proud of their knowledge and proud of their wealth. And so they looked down their nose as at everyone else. You know, they looked down their nose at the slaves in the church and the poor and the weak. As if we don't really need all those people. We have it together. We're the smart ones. We're the spiritual ones. And you know, the reality is, is again, whether we ever verbalize it or not, many people today feel the same way. You know, they, they think they've got it all together. And they don't have any patience to put up with the challenges of other Christians. The challenges of living in community. You know, other people, they think they're God's gift to the church. And they show up and think, man, these people should all be really glad that I'm here. And they think they have everything together and, and, and that the world would be so much better off if everyone would just listen to them and do what they say. And therefore, Paul urges all of us He says, think so as to have sound judgment. So in other words, I need to make sure that I maintain a realistic understanding about my own weaknesses. And verses 4 and 5 will clarify that I especially need to understand and see how I need the other members of the church. Now, I like how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he uses... Uh, the picture of a body as, a, as an analogy uh, for the church. And he says, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I mean, wouldn't that be absurd for your head to look down at your feet and say, Man, you smell, you're at the bottom, I don't need you. It's nuts. And on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. So it might be that you are a very mature Christian. You have significant spiritual gifts. And frankly, in comparison to other people, you don't really have a lot of major spiritual struggles. But but therefore, it it might be tempted to look around at more immature believers or, or even unbelievers who attend the church 
and think that you really don't need those people. But God says that's not the case. We need everyone. No matter who you are, you need the other members of the church. Their gifts and even their struggles against sin are vital to your continued growth and maturity. Now, I've certainly seen that in my life. That those you know, who, are, who are learning about Christ for the very first time, you know, people who, who maybe have deep sin struggles and, and they are fighting to get out of them. I mean, they minister to my heart. They encourage me. They give me perspective that I desperately need. So, so I am not an island to myself. I need the church and so do you. Now, now it might be that you have the opposite struggle of the arrogant guy. Right? So, so you have never thought that you don't need the church, but, but maybe you've wondered, well, what do I have to offer? Or am I just a drag on what the church is trying to do? Because maybe you're older, you can't do the things that you used to be able to do. Maybe God has put other limitations in your life. Maybe you have significant sin struggles, or, or, or you just don't know the Bible because you got saved later in life. And so you might think, well, well, the church would be a lot better off if I just sort of faded off in the distance. Well, we'll notice in verse 3 that sound judgment does not just lead to humility. It also involves recognizing that God has allotted to each, speaking of every Christian, a measure of faith. Now, now I have to mention that there's some controversy about what exactly uh, that phrase, measure of faith, means. And so some people... I believe that it is talking about the gift of saving faith. So, so God has given everyone uh, who is in the church uh, a level of faith, and, and we're all equal at the foot of the cross because we've all received been saved by the same faith. And, and of course, it is true that we are equal at the foot of the cross and we are all saved by the same faith. But I don't think that that, that view gives proper weight to the word measure, which normally describes a portion or a measurement out of a whole. And since verse, and it's particularly uh, verse 4 goes on uh, to talk about the diversity of the church. So I believe it's best to see measure here as describing the diversity of faith. And really, the diversity of giftedness among God's people. So, so we have all, if you are in Christ, you have received a measure of grace. God has given you a spiritual gift and He has given you an essential role to fulfill within the body of the church. So, so none of us are a whole body, right? You're a foot, you're an eyeball, you're a finger, you're a heart, whatever it might be. But, but no matter who you are, you have a measure of faith, you have a role to fulfill. So we need you. But, but the other members, uh, and so we need each other. And the other members need you. So, so you have a faith, you have a role, you have a grace from God that is essential to the health of our church. So, so let me say as clearly as possible that if you are saved, if you are in Christ, you are essential to the health of our church. And therefore, the second challenge I want us to see from verses 3-5 through 
is that we must embrace the diversity of the body. So again, verse 4 says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. So, so that verse makes a simple point, again, that we are not all the same. We have different backgrounds. Uh, we have different personalities, different perspectives, different spiritual strengths, and we even have different spiritual weaknesses. And we especially have different spiritual gifts, which he's going to highlight in verses 6-8. through eight. Now, that's great, but, but the reality is, is that differences oftentimes create friction. You know, so, so the type A personality, like me, that, that wants to get stuff done, and, and you know, I, I like to joke that I, I, mean, I run over, when I'm going somewhere, you know, you better not be too short because I'll run over you. I won't see you because I'm going there. And so the type A person like me, we, we can clash with the person who's naturally patient and merciful and compassionate. You know, as well, I mean, you know, older people and younger people oftentimes have different perspectives, different things that matter to them. And, and we can irritate each other at times. And, and on and on it goes. There, there are all sorts of ways that that can happen. And, and folks, that's one reason why a virtual community can seem so attractive. Because I can pick and choose people who are just like me, people that don't irritate me, and I can avoid conflict. But, but the Bible is clear that diversity, and especially a diversity of giftedness, is vital to the health of the church and, and to our productivity, our effectiveness as a whole. Uh, again, Romans chapter 12, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 17 through 20 say, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as He desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. That's a great picture because our bodies are are incredible, aren't they? Have you ever thought about how many parts of your body have to work together for you to do something as simple as signing your name? Like your blood's, your, your heart's got to be pumping blood to all the organs, and of course your brain is sending a signal to your hand, and it's got to travel down, and, and I don't know how many muscles and ligaments and bones have to work together in your hand just for you to write your name. And, and that's incredible. There, there is incredible beauty in that diversity, and, and folks, it is the same in the church. Now, we would be in huge trouble if this church was just a whole bunch of Kit Johnsons. I mean, for one, the decor would be horrendous. And, uh, and, and our programs would be very educational, but they would be very boring. The kids would all be asleep and they would all leave. And, um, and, and, and so I need the body. You know, there's people that, that I don't naturally connect with that maybe you do. You've got a shared life experience or something like that that I don't have. And so we need each other. So, so it's true. Yes, diversity creates challenges. But it also creates strength. So give thanks for the ministry that you receive from brothers and sisters who are different from you. And give thanks for the fact that we can be so much more effective together than we could ever be on our own in, in reaching our community for Christ and glorifying our Savior's name. So, so embrace the diversity of the church. And then that brings me to the third challenge. 
of the first part, which is embrace the unity of the church. So verse 5 goes on and says, So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So notice, first of all here, that it's not just that we get along, that we can stand sitting in the same room once a week. No, no, we are, he says there, we are one body in Christ. So it is Christ that ultimately should draw the church together. And that's important. It's always worth emphasizing. Because a unity that is built on personalities or personal preferences or worldly interests, it is, it, is, it is a foundation built on sand. Because all those things change and they vary. So we must always be sure that what binds us together as a church is Christ and the Gospel and the work of the Gospel in our midst. And notice that when the Gospel binds us together, we, we don't just coexist. I mean, Paul says, I mean, this is a, a, an incredible phrase. He says, we are members one of another. So that phrase describes incredible unity that creates incredible strength. You know, when I read that phrase, I think back uh, to uh, a story on the farm. So you get to hear a farm story today. So, so I grew up on a farm in, in western Illinois. And, um, and occasionally, when we'd be doing field work in the spring, we would get a tractor stuck in the mud. And, uh, and so, you know, you get in a hole, and it's wet there, and the tractor gets down in it, and, and you can't get out. And so, you know, my dad had a couple of really heavy chains, and so we'd just go get another tractor and hook the chain between the two tractors and pull the tractor out. Well, sometimes, though, uh, we would really get a tractor buried. I mean, get that thing buried, get the implement that was behind it buried, and, and so you'd hook the chain up and start pulling, and pop, you know, a chain link would break, and, you know, the other tractor takes off, and the other one's still stuck in the mud. And so when we would really get one stuck, uh, we would go over to our neighbor's house and he had this long cable that we could use to pull out the tractor. And, and this cable, I remember the first time we went and got it, it fascinated me. Because it was like half as heavy as my dad's chain. And yet it was like twice as long. And my dad said that it was stronger than the chain. Which I wasn't quite sure I believed. Now, now we broke a lot of chain links over the years. Yanking on stuff with the tractors. But we never broke that cable. So what is it that makes a cable so strong? Well, what's fascinating about a cable is you take all these you know, little, tiny wires that in and of themselves really aren't very strong. And then they take them and they braid them together in this complex web. And they equally share the load. And together, there is incredible strength in that cable. And folks, that's how I picture this phrase that we are to be members one of another. I mean, we don't just sit in the same room every Sunday. We are to be engaged in each other's lives like, like a complex web. We care for each other. And we work together to, to glorify the Lord and fulfill His mission. And that interconnectedness is what creates incredible strength and incredible effectiveness. Effectiveness. So, so let's think about this in terms, first of all, as us as individuals. That you are far more spiritually safe 
when you are interconnected to the church than you are when you are out on your own. I was watching a, a thing on BBC America. They've got all these cool nature shows a while back, and they, they, had, they were talking about uh, these little fish, you know, like herring and anchovies, and there's these itty-bitty little fish, and they swim around the ocean, and if you've got a herring that's just like hanging out in a bay somewhere up in Alaska, I mean, a seal or a sea lion or a whale is going to eat that thing up very quickly. I mean, he has no defense against any of those things. So what do they do? Well, they gather in these massive schools of fish, sometimes up to a billion fish together. And, and, and you've probably seen videos of how they move together in unity. And, and so when, you know, when the sea lion you know, attacks, when he darts at him, they all move. And the way they move together confuses the predator, and he cannot get them. I mean, it's crazy. You know, you think like, I'm going to dive at a billion fish. I'm certain to get one. And he totally misses. And the only way that they can catch those fish is to break them apart. And once they break the, the school of fish apart, they're easy pickings. And that's a good illustration for the spiritual life. That there is incredible spiritual danger if you are trying to go it on your own. You're just out in the world, swimming around in the middle of all the sea lions. You're a sitting duck. And yet, when we are bound together in the church, there is incredible safety. So, so, so we need each other. You are very, very open to Satan's attacks when you are disconnected from the church. And as well, we are also far more effective when we are bound together. You know, I mean, we're, we're getting ready to do a, a Valentine's banquet here in a few weeks. And, and a couple weeks ago, a couple of people said something about doing a Valentine's banquet, and, and I had no interest in it. I, I hate running stuff like that. You know, like that's like the worst thing I could be asked to do. And, and, and if I were to run one, it would be terrible. But I'm so grateful that we got people in the church that are motivated to do something like that and gifted to do something like that and to provide a setting where, where we can fellowship and be encouraged. I mean, we, we can do so much more as a church when we work together than when we try to do things on our own. So embrace the unity of the church and, 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 and move towards the center of the body. I mean, go after people. Build relationships with people. Encourage people. Serve people. Hold each other accountable. Put yourself in a place to receive those things. And, and jump into ministry. I mean, work alongside your brothers and sisters in doing the most important mission in all the world, which is to glorify God by reaching people for Christ and growing them into maturity. Folks, we need the church. You need the church. And, and I don't mean that you just need to show up, you know, like 30% of the time for an hour so that you can keep the pastors off your back. You need to be vitally connected to the body of Christ for, for your own spiritual care and health. Now, I, I mean, I, I receive so much encouragement from so many of you all the time. You know, that, that lovingly you're slapping me across the face, or you're encouraging me, you're speaking encouraging words. I benefit from your spiritual gifts, and you do as well. You need the church. It's why, like, 
I mean, when you watch people that, that ultimately walk away from the faith, almost always one of the first things that you see is they begin to disconnect themselves from the church. They begin, you know, they used to be here all the time. They're here less and less. They're more and more distant. They walk in the last second and they're out as soon as they can be. And, and then it just tends to progress from there. We, we need the body. You need the church. So embrace God's design and plug in. So, so we need the church. And then the second truth that we need, uh, that we have to understand today, is that the church needs you. So verses 6-8 through eight go on to say, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, now I'll just encourage you that we're not going to deal exhaustively with these verses right now. The hour is getting late. And, 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 and actually tonight, I'm going to come back to this passage and, and we're going to spend a lot of time thinking through all the implications of it. So, so this morning though, I just want to highlight two important principles uh, from, from these uh, three verses. And the first is, is that God designed you to fulfill a unique role in the church. And Paul says at the beginning of verse 6, that God has given every believer a unique, different grace. And we know that he is talking there about spiritual gifts because the text follows by commanding us to exercise those gifts. So, so again, I'm going to talk tonight about the nature of spiritual gifts and you know, identifying your spiritual gifts, practicing your spiritual gifts. But, but for now, just notice that God has given every Christian a unique role to fulfill in the church. And as we saw earlier, they are all vital to the health of the body. Now, now that's important because you know, over the years, I, I've heard many Christians say or, or demonstrate by how they live that, that they don't really believe my first major point, that they need the church. They, they don't really think that by, by how they live or what they say, and and they think that they are doing just fine spiritually uh, on their own. Or, or just kind of hanging out on the edges. Or, or, you know, I just watched Charles Stanley on TV. I had a conversation with someone uh, last year. And I just watched Charles Stanley on TV or watched someone else that they like. And, and that's enough. Now, 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 of course, the New Testament denies that idea that you don't need the church. It tells us you need the church. But even if you could convince yourself that you're the exception to that. That you can walk with God and love Jesus without any connection to the church. These verses say that you cannot be an obedient disciple of Jesus if you are not serving in the church. Now that's because one of God's demands of His children is that you use your spiritual gifts to serve in the context of the church. So, if you don't go to church, or you're not engaged in the life of the church, then you are neglecting a major discipline of genuine discipleship. You are disobeying God. You are a, well, I, I, don't, I don't know the word, dis, I don't know if I want to use the word disobey. You are a deformed disciple. Now, now let me, uh, I, I, those are strong statements. So I, so I want to, to just 
preference that by saying that, that we recognize that, that some people are providentially hindered from, from fully participating in the life of the church, right? You know, so, so people, and we've got people who are watching online this morning because they have physical limitations, or, or they are sick, or, or there are people that have job issues, or, or there can be legitimate reasons in the providence of God that God makes it basically impossible for you to be in church in His will. And, and God knows those things, right? And, and God is, is sensitive, and, and, and God cares about those things, and, and, and I want to be clear that we want to be sensitive to those things as well. So I am not saying that, that someone who can only watch online or someone who is stuck at home for a variety of reasons that they're living in sin. And I'm certainly not looking down my nose at someone who, who because of the providence of God, cannot be more engaged in the life of the church. Alright, so let's throw that out there. That exception exists. But then there's the other 90% of us. Alright? And this text and others say that if you are saved, God gave you a gift to use in the context of His church for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And verses 6-8 through eight command you to use that gift I mean, you can't just ignore that aspect of God's will for your life. It is right here in His Word. And so, as God gives opportunity, we must obey. Which brings me uh, to the second principle here, which is, you must enthusiastically fulfill your role. And look at the adverbs that Paul uses in verse 8. He says, he who exhorts in his exhortation, and then he says, and he who gives... With liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So, so God wants every believer to not just find a place, I've got to go listen to kids and keep them in line tonight, and you know, hopefully I don't kill any of them. No, God wants us to serve enthusiastically with all of our strength. So, so, so find that place and serve. Now, maybe, maybe you've got questions. You're like, man, well, well, what is my role? I mean, what, how can I serve? What, what can I do to, to be a blessing to the body? Well, well I, first of all, I encourage you to come back tonight as, as we talk about uh, spiritual gifts and service in the church. But then beyond that, I mean, man, we would love to have conversations with people who want to serve, want to get involved, but just don't know how or where. That is like a pastor's dream. So, so talk to us. You know, talk to other people in your life that you trust and are mature in Christ that can say, you know, I really envision you doing well here or, or here's a place you can be a blessing. But, but find a way to serve because the church needs you. The church needs you. So, so I'd like to, to pull all this together today into five conclusions, sort of applications. Really more applications. And the first one is receive Christ so that you can be part of the body. You know, the church is a precious fellowship. But verse 5 says that this fellowship is rooted in Christ. So I do think it's important to be clear that showing up in a church service does not make you a part of the church. You have to be saved. You have to be in Christ. And, and of course, if, if you're not saved, we are very glad you're here. We want you to keep coming. 
And, 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 and we want to see you ultimately come to Christ and be saved so, so that you can enjoy the fellowship and the bond of the church in a way that, that you will never experience it otherwise. So if you are not saved, we'd, we'd love to speak with you today about how you can know Christ as your Savior and, and how you can be in Christ and as a result become members one another, one another with His church. Second conclusion is join LifePoint. And so, the New Testament is clear that, that a local church requires mutual commitment. I think this text is clear that, that church is not a spectator sport where you show up and just watch something take place. It, it involves, in church, a church involves mutual commitment. So, so, you have to be committed to that church. And, and in the process, the church commits itself to you. It, it's, a, it's a two-way street. And so, as a Baptist church, we do this through a process of membership. And, and, it, and it's about a whole lot more than just a right to vote at business meetings. Like, like you know, church membership is about the fact that you are committing yourself to that body. Saying, I am a member of this church. I am committed to this body. And it's also, when we vote you into membership, that is our commitment to you. That we will care for you, that we will watch over your soul, that we will help you on to Christ. And so, if there's anyone, you know, we've got a number of people that, again, attend regularly, and, and we're glad that you attend. But we would love to see some of you take that next step and really commit yourself to the church in that relationship. And and if you are interested in that, you have questions about that, maybe you're like, I don't know, that sounds kind of weird. Then, then I would love to sit down with you and, and, and talk through from the Scriptures and talk through from our Constitution what we believe, why we believe it, how it works, and, and just answer all those things. And, and, and then, so, so, so we'd love to have that conversation. And the third conclusion is embrace God's will. And, and I put this one in here because I, you know, I know in preaching this sermon, that, that a sermon like this causes some hearts to really ache. Because you want to do more. And yet, because of the providence of God, you can't. And, and I hate that feeling. Like, I am, I am a horrible person to be around when I'm sick. Because I hate to slow down. I hate slowing down. I got too much to do. And, and there's some of you that are wired like that. You know, you, you want to serve, you want to be involved, you want to do this and that and everything else. And in the providence of God, you can't. And I just encourage you today with the fact that we love you. And, and, and our church does not look down. I don't, you know, none of us look down our noses at you. We care about you. And, and one of the ways that we get blessed is by being a servant to you. And, and I would almost be certain in saying that if, you, if your heart aches with frustration over the idea that you can't do more, you are probably a far greater blessing to this body than you realize. Because those people that love Jesus, they're maturing Christ, they're setting an example, they're praying, they're encouraging, and they are significant in massive ways. So embrace God's will, whatever it is, for, for where you are in life. Fourth conclusion is receive ministry. You need the church. 
It's one of the most important means of grace that God has provided for our spiritual growth. So take advantage of it. Participate as much as your schedule will allow. Lean on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now let them bear your burdens and rejoice in your blessings. Now yes, making the church a priority is not convenient. It's a whole lot easier to stay in your pajamas. It's, a, it's hard to shut off the game and come back on Sunday nights sometimes. But it is always worth it. So, so involve yourself in the church. Receive the ministry that the church gives. And then finally, give ministry. The church needs you. you know, think about the fact that you know, we are less effective without part of the body. So if you're a part of our church and you are not participating like God has called you to participate, then, then we cannot do as good of a job at reaching people for Christ, making disciples, and glorifying the name of the Savior. And, and we can do a whole lot more with you than without you. And of course, you miss out on a lot of blessing too. So jump in and serve in the strength that God supplies. And watch Him bless your soul as you do. And watch Him use you to be a blessing to others. Father, we thank You so much for this text. And we thank You for Your design in the church. It is a beautiful, wonderful thing. And Lord, we thank You for LifePoint. And we thank You for what You have done and what You are doing here. For all of the wonderful servants that we have. And Lord, I pray that You would continue Your good work among us. Lord, You would save souls. I pray that You would use us to continually build up each other and point each other to Christ. And Father, I pray that You'd use us to glorify Your name in, in, in seeing people reached and seeing them discipled into maturity. And Lord, in, in fulfilling the mission that You have given to us. And Lord, I just ask for your continued work in our midst. I pray that you'd protect and guard all of us. Help us to care well for each other. Help us, Father, with the blind spots and the holes that we have in that care to, to, to grow and improve. And Lord, use us for your glory. In Christ's name.